We've got a lot to thank the ancient Egyptians for. They appear to be at the forefront of everything we know today, from creating the modern calendar to inventing surgical instruments and writing techniques. The ancient Egyptians were indeed masters of innovation. However, even with today's modern techniques, we still can't figure out how they did some of the things they did. A classic example being how they built the pyramids. In recent years, though, archaeologists and scientists are slowly unraveling some of the long-standing mysteries of ancient Egyptians, and in this video, we'll look at five of them that are not completely solved, but we now have a better understanding of. The Dakla Cancer Cases We tend to think of cancer as a modern-day disease, in some cases caused by the excesses of overproduced food, alcohol, cigarettes, and unhealthy lifestyles. However, recently researchers have uncovered cancer cases from over 3,000 years ago when they examined the remains of 1,087 ancient Egyptians buried in the tombs in the Dakla oasis. The finds revealed a toddler with leukemia, a mummified man in his 50s with rectal cancer, and individuals with cancer possibly caused by human papillomavirus, HPV. They were able to determine the presence of cancer by studying the lesions or holes on the bones that are typically caused by advanced cancers that have spread throughout the body. In one of the cases, a man in his 50s with rectal cancer, the actual tumour was preserved. Two females and one male skeleton were people in their 20s or 30s, an age when even today it's rare to get cancer. However, similar to nowadays, researchers believe these cancers were caused by HPV, now known to be a major cause of several forms of cancer in young adults, including cervical, genital, and oropharynx. While scientists could not genetically test the three young adults to see if they had HPV, other studies confirm that it did exist in the ancient world. To date, it's unclear from Egyptian medical texts and human remains whether the ancient Egyptians had a specific cancer treatment it is theorized that they may have tried to treat some of the skin lesions associated with advanced cancer with topical ointments. But like everything with this remarkable race, they may have discovered a more effective way of treating it that we are yet to discover. Through studying the bones from the Dakla oasis, researchers estimated that the lifetime cancer risk in the ancient Egyptians was about five in 1,000, compared with 50% in modern Western societies meaning our current cancer risk in today's Western societies is 100 times greater than in ancient Dakla. Of course, others could have died of cancer without any traces being left in their remains, and people in the ancient world tended to have shorter lifespans than people today anyway. However, even accounting for these factors, the researchers believe the risk of cancer was considerably lower in ancient Egypt. By studying the bones of ancient Egyptians, it is hoped that in the future, Data will be gathered on cancer and other diseases in the modern-day Dakla oasis. This data could then be compared to the ancient rate to provide more clues as to how cancer risk has changed over time. It would be unsurprising if in years to come, it was established the ancient Egyptians even found a cure. Pits with severed hands in 2012, a team of archaeologists unearthed a palace in the ancient city of Avaris, in the Nile Delta, northeast of Cairo in Egypt, and stumbled across a gruesome discovery. In four pits in the grounds of the palace, they found the skeletal remains of 16 human right hands. Two of the pits located in front of what is believed to be a throne room 
had one hand in each. The other 14 hands were found in two other pits nearby. Most of the hands were unusually large, almost giant in some cases. The remains date back over 3,600 years to a time when the Hyksos people from northern Canaan controlled part of Egypt, and it's thought at the time the palace was being used by one of the Hyksos rulers, King Kayan. The severed hands are the first physical evidence ever found of a practice illustrated in ancient art, in which a warrior would cut off the right hand of an enemy and deliver it in exchange for gold. In this image, created about 400 years after the avarice hands were deposited, it shows the chopped off hands of enemy soldiers being prepared for Ramses III, a pharaoh of Egypt, after a successful campaign. Not only would this practice make counting the victims easier, but it was also symbolic that by cutting off the hand in death, took away the enemy's strength and deprived him of power in the afterlife. It's unknown if the hands found in Avarice were Egyptians or Hyksos, as it's thought both performed the gruesome practice. One account of the ritual is written on the tomb wall of Amos, son of Ibana, an Egyptian fighting in a campaign against the Hyksos. Translated it reads, Then I fought hand to hand, I brought away a hand. The inscription suggests his efforts were rewarded with the gold of valor, and later Amos took three hands and was given gold in double measure. The grisly treatment of prisoners in ancient Egypt was nothing new. The Nama palette, an object dating to the time of the unification of ancient Egypt about 5,000 years ago, shows decapitated prisoners and a pharaoh about to smash the head of a kneeling man, so they did have a bit of a history of brutal behaviour. The mummy wrapped in a foreign book. When Napoleon Bonaparte invaded Egypt and Syria in 1798, in addition to sending military personnel to Egypt, he also took over many scholars and scientists, and their involvement in the war resulted in a renewed European interest in ancient Egypt, after they made some amazing discoveries and were responsible for creating the field of Egyptology. Over time, Egyptian artifacts, including statues, papyri, and even Egyptian mummies, were shipped out of the Nile Valley to museums across Europe. One such mummy was that of Nessie Hensu, who eventually ended up in the Archaeological Museum in Zagreb, Croatia, where she is still displayed to this day. However, it isn't her mummy that is extraordinary, but rather the strange linen she was wrapped, now known as Liber Lintus, Latin for linen book. Nessie Hensu's journey to Zagreb started in 1848, when a Croatian official named Mihajlo Barak resigned from his post and decided to travel the world. While he was in Alexandria, Egypt, Barak decided to purchase a sarcophagus containing a female mummy. When he returned to his home in Vienna, Austria, he removed the linen wrapping from the mummy and displayed her upright in the corner of his sitting room. He then put the wrapping in a separate glass case. There it stayed until Barak's death in 1859, after which his brother, Eja, a priest living in Slavonia, inherited the mummy. Eja had no interest in Nessie Hensu and decided to donate her and her wrapping to the archaeological museum in Zagreb. Up to that point, nobody had noticed the writing on the linen wrapping. It was only when the remains were examined in 1867 by the German Egyptologist Heinrich Brugsch that they noticed the text. However, Brugsch believed it to be Egyptian hieroglyphs and did not investigate any further. It was a further decade before the importance of the linen was realized when Brugsch 
had a chance conversation with the British explorer Richard Burton. They spoke about ancient writing, and Brooks realised that the writing on the mummy's linen wrapping was not actually Egyptian hieroglyphs, but some other script. However, although both men realised that the writing may have been important, they wrongly concluded that it was an Arabic translation of the Egyptian Book of the Dead. In 1891, the Libro Lentuus was sent to Vienna and thoroughly examined by, by Jacob Kral, an expert on the Coptic language, and he was able to establish that the text was actually written in Etruscan, although Kral was unable to decipher what it said. The Etruscan language is still not fully understood, as very little of it has survived, but certain words could be picked out to provide an indication that Libelentuus was based on the dates and names of gods, and was thought to be a religious calendar. A piece of papyrus scroll that was buried with the mummy identifies Nessie Hensu as an Egyptian woman and the wife of a Theban divine tailor named Paher Hensu. So why was she wrapped in the linen? with the text associated with the Etruscan civilization of ancient Italy is a mystery. It's theorized that there is no connection and that it was probably the only linen the embalmers could get their hands on when they were preparing her for the afterlife. But as a result of this accident in history, the Libelintuus is the oldest known preserved text in the mysterious Estrucan language. Ancient Stripy Sock In 1913 or 14, a stripy sock was fished out of a landfill during the excavation of the Egyptian city of Antinopolis, led by English papyrologist John Demonis Johnson. The sock eventually ended up in the collections of the British Museum in London. However, it's not just any old stripy sock. This sock is thought to have been discarded around the 3rd or 4th century. For many years, apart from its age, not much else was known about the sock except that it was tiny, and probably belonged to a toddler or baby ancient Egyptian. However, new research using multispectral imaging has revealed certain colours in the sock that have degraded to the point that they are not visible to the naked eye, and the analysis has revealed that the tiny sock originally contained seven hues of wool yarn woven together in a meticulous stripy pattern. The colours were created using three plant-based dyes, madder roots for red, woad leaves for blue, and wild flowers for yellow. Just as we would today, the colours were mixed together to create shades of green, purple and orange. Such intricacy for a tiny sock is pretty impressive, and offers an insight into fashion trends nearly 2000 years ago, and the great lengths the ancient Egyptians went into creating such a small garment. The sock was knitted using a single needle looping technique, and notably the technique enables them to separate the big toe from the four other toes most likely to wear the sandals. It seems incredible that the sock and its multicolored stripes so closely resemble the socks we wear today. Mysterious Black Goo Several ancient Egyptian coffins and mummy cases have been found covered in a mysterious black goo. One of the best examples of the goo was found poured all over the mummy case of Jed Honsiu F. Anka. Jed Honsiu F. Anka lived and died almost 3,000 years ago in ancient Egypt. Not a lot is known about his life, apart from he was a high priest in the temple of Amun at Anak. After his death, he was mummified, wrapped in fine linen, and sewn into his plaster and linen mummy case. 
The case was beautifully painted in bright colours and gilded with gold leaf over the face. At the time of his funeral, he would have been lowered into his coffin and carried to his tomb, after which several litres of warm black goo were poured over the mummy case, covering it completely and effectively cementing it into the coffin. The lid was then placed on the coffin and he was left to journey forth to the afterlife. The black goo covering was not unique to Jed Honsu F. Anker. Several coffins have been found covered in the goo. Tutankhamun's innermost gold coffin was originally cemented into the middle coffin with litres of black goo, but no one seems to know the significance of it or why it was done. Despite there being many writings from ancient Egypt that deal with the spiritual preparations for death, very few explain the actual process. In an attempt to explain the black goo, British museum experts have analysed more than 100 samples of it from 12 coffins and mummy cases, and discovered it's made of a combination of plant oil, animal fat, tree resin, beeswax, and bitumen, which is solid crude oil. It is possible there were other ingredients as well that can no longer be detected. Some of the products have been identified as only naturally occurring outside of Egypt, indicating that these were imported. The two tree resins often found in the goo are from pistachia trees and conifer trees. Pistachia trees grow around the Mediterranean, and pistachia resin has been found in other ancient Egypt artifacts, so it seems to have been imported in large quantities. Similarly, conifer trees are not native to Egypt and were likely imported from elsewhere. Conifer resin has also been found in jars relating to rituals and funerals, again suggesting it was a common import. The bitumen was identified as coming from the Dead Sea. It can only be assumed that the significance of the black goo is linked to the god Osiris, who is associated with death and rebirth. Osiris was called the Black One in various funerary texts, and is often depicted with black skin and in the guise of a mummified body. Black is also the colour associated with the fertile alluvial silt deposited on the banks of the Nile River, after floods that was used to germate seeds for crops and was viewed as magical and regenerative. It could therefore be reasoned that the practice of coating coffins in black goo links the deceased to the regeneration associated with Osiris. In addition to mummy cases, black goo was also painted on funerary statues of deities, of which several examples have been discovered. It's thought the goo treatment was only afforded to social elites due to its expense. The substance has also been found in other parts of the ancient world, such as Sudan. However, as with a lot of things the ancient Egyptians practiced, the significance of the black goo is still not fully understood. So that's it for these five fascinating ancient Egyptian mysteries. There are tons more for us to talk about, so if you'd like us to make another video on this, let us know. Thanks for watching, and as always, we'll see you in the next one.